For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Marvelous. Marvelous helps you build and grow your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. If you're looking for a simple, beautiful, custom branded platform to build and grow your online business, you can learn more at heymarvelous.com. Welcome to the Angie Spoke Podcast. Today, we spoke with Jill Johnson, co-founder and CEO of the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership. She has nearly 30 years experience as a business strategist with expertise in financial analysis, marketing, and business development. She's an advocate for community businesses and microenterprise and is a leading authority in the area of minority inclusion in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. What is so cool about Jill Johnson that we discovered in our conversation is that she has three different brands under her institute, which is her nonprofit. One is WOC Connect, which helps women of color grow their networks, and as she describes it, their knowledge networks. Making Black Angels, a movement to increase the number of Black angel investors, And as a response to the pandemic last year, she created Small Businesses Need Us, where she is the matchmaker for businesses who need help and matches them with experts who can help them, whether that's marketing or social or transitioning to online offerings. I think we could have talked to her for hours and hours. It was an amazing conversation. It was rich. It was full. It was entertaining. Here is our conversation with Jill Johnson. Well, welcome, Jill, to the podcast. We're so happy to have you. I am really, really glad to be here. So, Jill, let's get to know you a little bit. Do you want to give us a few-minute intro of who you are and what you do? Who I am? That's a really complex (laughs) question. (laughs) So I don't know that I'll get into that fully. I started my journey, or my journey starts with my parents and their business. I run an organization today called the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership that my father and I started together. And it really is based on a lot of my experiences and the information that I share with other people. As I said, all started back when my parents had a business. And so I had an opportunity to see business owners, entrepreneurs who were in that struggle every day to make payroll and work through cash. What was their business? Uh, newspaper publishing. So not only were there the regular kinds of business issues, but because newspapers are on deadline and it was uh, one of the publications was a weekly newspaper. Wow. It was always turning around a deadline. So we were always working. And it's funny. I said to my husband the other day, I said, I didn't know what it was like to not work. I mean, we were always as a family, we were always working. So, you know, I think that I would say that I'm a person that has a very strong work ethic and I work a lot, but I enjoy the work that I do and there's so much to be done. So, (laughs) you know, I have a good time doing the work that I do. And tell us about your organization and I want to know when it started and what was the impetus for you to start it? Yeah, my father and I started the organization in 2002 and the impetus is really to try to help entrepreneurs who have been historically excluded from access to knowledge networks and capital 
to be able to get that access. And again, this was based on what I saw as the challenges that my parents faced and actually comparing and contrasting that to the people that I saw when I started my first job was at Goldman Sachs in the financial analyst program in mergers and acquisitions. And I saw people there who created tremendous wealth from their businesses. They were not people who looked like me or anyone who I knew from my community. And so, you know, I wondered why is that? What is it that they're able to do? What is it that they know that enables more people who are white men to be able to build these businesses that are sizable and extract value? And I also had a a period of time after Goldman, I worked with my parents for a while. And then I was writing business plans for dot-coms that were raising money during the dot-com boom. Again, I was able to see who was able to raise money and who wasn't. And it was, you know, through all of those experiences that led me to say, there are certain groups of people where this is not only much tougher, where there are just barriers that seem like they shouldn't exist. And where do they go? You know, there are different support resources for small businesses, different SBA resources, things like that. But I felt like there was something that was needed that was much more hands-on, much more tactical, not just telling you what you need to do, what you should do, but actually helping you to do it. And a resource that was also helping to open doors. And that was really what we designed the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership to be. And that is really what our work is focused on today. Jill, I would love to hear more about what those barriers are, just to make it really obvious to our listeners who maybe are unfamiliar with the access to capital conversation? I would say that a lot of the barriers, and this is something that people don't talk about often, a lot of the barriers are really based on a lack of access to relationships. And the fact that we're just not included. Oftentimes, people of color, white women, people who are not in specific circles, and oftentimes that's Northeast schools, particular schools, have worked at in particular companies, they're on a certain path, they're part of country clubs and the summer camp circuit, all those sorts of things that put them in circles where they are around people who can open doors, people who can say, hey, Sandy, I really believe in you. You know, anything that you do, come to me, let me know what you need. I'm, I'm certainly willing to help. And so when you go to raise money, you're able to go to that person they put the first money in, you know, and you're off to the races. That's a challenge for a lot of people of color. And in communities of color, there often isn't friends and family money. So you always hear this term, oh, go raise friends and family money. Well, if you are the one within your circle who's always kind of giving, you know, the money and helping other people out, you don't have a community from which to draw friends and family dollars. So That's a huge one, just that relationship connectivity and the access to people who can provide not only capital, but also legal advice, accounting advice, the things that, you know, maybe your friends and family even have those sorts of skills and that expertise. If you don't have that network, you don't even have those resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And we've also seen it just in our own experience when you you have maybe a taste of that, or you've started to have some access, then our own experiences that pattern matching then in those fundraising conversations obviously comes to play as well. But I see what you're saying. Like some people don't even get to the point where they have those conversations and have access to the network to have them. Right. And that was, again, I think part of what I wanted to do and where I'm very focused, I have been very fortunate to go to Harvard. And so I have that network. My parents with their newspaper publishing, you know, the media is very powerful. So there were always people wanting to talk to them, politicians, corporate leaders. So they had a name and a reputation that I was able to build upon. I worked at Goldman Sachs. Again, that's another network. My husband graduated from Wharton undergrad. That's a network. My kids have been to certain schools. My oldest son went to a boarding school in Connecticut. That's a circle. You know, everything that you do, all of your experiences lead to 
circles and help you have an on-ramp into networks. So I do feel like I've been very fortunate to be able to build a very strong and broad network. And what I am very, again, focused on doing is using the people in my network, really engaging them, activating them to open doors on behalf of people who do not have that access. And that's how I feel like things will start to change is when we get to know more people, we we like each other, and we're willing to open those doors when we can. Mm-hmm. And how do people find your organization? A lot of times it is through word of mouth, you know, it's through the network, <laughs> network, network. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, people do look us up online. We have the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership is our organization. We are a nonprofit, as I said, and people can find our website. We are eiffel.org and they can look us up, Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership. But then we also have our three brands that we have as separate programs and we have branded them separately because we really wanted to build a, a community for those specific programs. One is Women of Color Connecting, where we specifically focus on women of color who we believe really have that potential to grow and get to the next level and be, in some cases, that multi-million dollar business. And there are plenty of those that have an exit. You know, we always think of like IPO or something, but there are a lot of businesses that are bought and sold every day that are smaller. So it could, you know, be a business that has that potential all the way to someone who does have IPO potential. But our objective there is really to identify those entrepreneurs who are amazing and who have so much potential, but again, don't have the access. We help them to get the access. And our goal is that within 10 years that we're creating a billion dollars in new wealth through the success of these women of color entrepreneurs. That's amazing. From that, we again started digging deeper into the access to capital and you know, realizing that when people keep talking about venture capital and the lack of venture capital that's available to women, to women of color very specifically, and then you drill down and black and brown women. The on-ramp for that, and even actually when you think of bank financing often, the on-ramp for that is friends and family money, because that's kind of your first equity and, you know, it's your personal savings and that friends and family money, even if it's, you know, your grandmother or aunt or uncle, you know, with $10,000, that still gives you a little bit of runway. But then up from there is the angel investor. In the tech world, that has a specific meaning. But, you know, in general, an angel was just someone who you didn't know, who maybe you you meet and that person is supporting you financially. What we saw is that there are not enough people who are not white men who are in the angel world. There are not enough women in general. There are not enough people of color in general. And what was interesting is that there there has been a movement over, say, the last 15, 16 years or so for women who have gotten involved in angel investing and they've been focusing on getting women, what we saw is that there were still not many women of color participating in that, but there was a correlation between the number of women angel investors and the number of women receiving angel investment capital. And so we looked at that and said, hey, you know what, if that works for kind of the broader group of women, we believe that that can work in the Black community and in other communities as well. We decided to start with the Black community. So we launched an initiative called the Making of Black Angels to support greater awareness and activation of people in the Black community in the investor ecosystem. So that was our second program, and people can find that at makingblackangels.org. And that's an interesting community because we have the Black people who were activating to be angel investors, but also very experienced, seasoned angel investors who are from a broader community who are able to see deal opportunities from Black founders. So it's, it's again, created a really nice synergistic relationship and an inclusive environment for sourcing deals for other groups as well. And then COVID hit in 2020. Well, we were all set to be very focused on our Women of Color Connecting Initiative and our Making of Black Angels work. We said, oh my gosh, you know, small businesses 
are being decimated, like that that community is being decimated. What do we do about this? And again, it was especially hitting communities of color harder. And so we launched an initiative called Small Businesses Need Us. And that's smallbusinessesneedus.org. It's been really exciting to see over you know, the last year, how many people want to get involved in health. And so we have activated people who have expertise. It could be marketing expertise or financial expertise, whatever it is, who are willing to volunteer a few hours, whatever time it is they want to volunteer and volunteer to help a small business with a particular issue. So we do the matching, but it, and it's not just giving them advice. It's saying, hey, okay, you need to activate your social media and get on that because you haven't been used to that or you your website isn't so great. Let's take two hours and I'm going to help you right now with that website to get things going in the right direction. So it's tactical implementation support, and it has just been phenomenally successful. And we've had so many different people from all walks and different corporations who have gotten involved with that as volunteers. That has been really, really rewarding just to see that kind of engagement. Wow, that's great. And that's amazing that you're in a position as an organization to allocate resources and organizing capacity to creating that. Was that something that happened early on, like right when the pandemic hit last spring or how, what was the process of creating that program? (laughs) It was one of, yeah, we had to be really thoughtful about it because initially we knew that there were government and different companies were saying that they needed to do things. So we expected that there would be a lot of programming and support. And what we saw was that everyone was saying that they wanted to help, but a lot of people weren't sure of what to do Mm -hmm. and what they could do as individuals. You know, so if you were in a big company pledging, you know, millions of dollars, what could you do as an individual? And then when we saw the outpouring of support, but also reflection that people were going through after the very brutal murder of George Floyd, that also kind of resonated with us that, look, people are looking for a way to gain better understanding, to meet people who they maybe wouldn't have thought about engaging previously, to try to use some of the resources and the privilege that they have to support others. What can they do? And and we were seeing frustration there. So part of small businesses need us was to address that and to provide a channel for people to be active and do something, not just to sit back and say, oh, that's too bad. Things need to change. Well, if things need to change, each person needs to get involved in being part of that change. Yeah, that's so powerful because I, I'm trying to think of what a gift that is to give to people who have, some people had a lot of extra time. And as you're saying, energy and frustration and concern on their hands. And so to give them the gift of having an outlet to go and express that and and do something really meaningful, what a what a lovely thing to create. Yeah, I mean, it's been really rewarding because when you hear the businesses just talk about their experience and the fact that for them, it can unlock potential that has been there, but haven't really been able to execute on, on their vision or their plan because, you know, they didn't have the money to hire someone with the expertise to do whatever it is that they needed help with. So having the expertise actually helps to mitigate, and I don't want to at all discount the the value of having money, right? Having investment capital is dollars. But if you don't have that, you know, money's not going to just fall out of the sky. Having these resources helps to mitigate the impact of not having that capital, because now you're in a position to do financial projections, get those done. You know, for people who are in that world, it seems so easy. I'll just put together some financial projections. Not so easy if that's not your world, right? If you're a creative person or you're running a store, like you may not know that. And so just doing those projections helps someone to see, oh, this is what I have to do, or this is when I can afford to hire someone, or oh, wow, my economics are way out of whack. I need to revisit something. And having someone to actually help you get that done really is invaluable. You know, same with the website. So many people had to pivot to being online or doing increasing their online presence. 
for a lot of them, wasn't something that they knew how to do on their own. So having an expert be able to help them, again, invaluable. For the Small Businesses Need Us website, so what is the application? Who would you accept? Like, who who are you giving help to? I'm just thinking about our listeners and they're like, oh, can I, could I use that? And second question, is this going to be ongoing or is this, is this, was it just like pandemic and you choose to shut it down once everything is back? No, we've seen, well, first of all, everything is back for small businesses is going to take a very long time, right? right. People are still, are still reeling. So let's get ourselves that, you know, it's, it's proof. And, you know, you see all these numbers that government people throw out and, economic statistics and you think, oh, things are all rosy for small, for small businesses. It's still really tough going for many of them. So on the business side, really any small business that is struggling and needs help. Mm-hmm. But is it like, is there a size or are, does it have to be a black founder or a female founder, any business? Nope. nope. Mm-hmm. It does not any business. I mean, this, this is an initiative really geared more to main street businesses, mm-hmm. right? Like regular types of everyday businesses, not your highly super scalable. This is like your just regular, you know, pizza place or right. landscape selling or selling cupcakes, whatever it is. I because see. again, that's, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is that is the backbone of the economy is these yeah, for sure. Businesses. For sure. So that's, that's the help. The, the application process is really the business owner telling us their needs and where they're feeling the pain so that we can then identify a volunteer that has that expertise. We do the match, we screen the volunteers, we, you know, do an orientation and training so they know what to expect. So that, you know, they're not saying to a small business owner, hey, you know, if you just take $50,000 and allocate it to this, you know, marketing channel, <laughs> you know, we're, we're helping them to understand that these are businesses that may have zero budget for marketing. What is it that they can can do? So it's been really rewarding. And, and this is something that we will absolutely be continuing because there are a lot of small businesses that were struggling well before COVID even hit. So we, we've seen a lot of good things come of it, a lot of impact, and it will continue. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's fun. Okay. Then I want to know, I want to know about all the programs. Okay. So women of color connect, is that a, so I thought that was a conference for some, for some reason, but that's an actual program. It's a program. So it's women of color connecting and the whole focus is on the connecting, right? Women of color, not just connecting to each other, but women of color connecting to a broader network. And here's the really important thing is a lot of our focus is on connecting all the people who say that diversity and inclusion matter and that it's important and, you know, it needs to happen. It's actually connecting them with these amazing entrepreneurs. Because often, you know, what we see is networks are very closed. So, you know, the people in your network, and if you don't have, you know, if you're not going out to certain events or meeting with people who don't look like you and are ordinarily in your circle, you're not going to meet more people who are not like you. And so it's it's an opportunity that is very open. We do have the summit event. It's our WOCON summit. This year, we just had WOCON 2021 as a completely virtual event. We will be continuing that most likely as a hybrid because we had such success with getting people from all over the country. And in fact, two people attended from two other countries outside of the US as well. But that is our forum for bringing people together. And again, just making introductions and creating the opportunity for connection. And we judge our success of that summit is really, you know, are people connecting and are they continuing to get to know each other? For everyone who attends the summit, people are very receptive to continuing the conversations. What was great was having the app being virtual. People were able to just go on the app and click on someone's name and say, you know, I'd love to connect with you. Again, what we found is that because we set that tone during the summit, people were very, very receptive. And a lot of folks got access to angel investors and venture capital folks. And on the flip side, those that audience got access to amazing entrepreneurs that wouldn't have happened outside of us bringing them together. 
Yeah, that's amazing. So that's that was my next question. So the people, the women in this case that joined that program is the point to connect them, to, obviously just to connect and build their, their, I love how you said knowledge network before, but ultimately is it to help them find capital if they so desire or they want it? That's part of the connections. Yeah, it's, and, and so we don't focus as much on we're going to help you find capital. Our focus is we're going to help you to get connected. And if capital is what you are, you know, it is a, is a need that you have, let's make sure you get connected. Now, with that said, we will also say if someone is, is, is raising money or needs to raise money, we will have people from within our community, within our network, do a pitch practice, let's say, so that they are able to get people who are folks that actually write checks themselves and people who are founders who have exited themselves to be able to give feedback, to get them prepared. So, you know, it's that circle of support that we provide that replaces what might happen for others more organically. So again, if you don't have it in an organic way, you know what, let's, no, no worries. Let's manufacture it. Let's create that same circle of success for you. Mm-hmm. Phil, I have a question about kind of the trajectory that you've seen in entrepreneurship since it sounds like your organization will be 20 next year. And you've been at this for a long time and witnessing other people's entrepreneurial journeys. And I'm wondering, have you seen a general trend towards more entrepreneurship over the course of the last 20 years or a decline or does it kind of ebb and flow? So for women of color, Black women in particular, there has been a tremendous increase in the number of people starting businesses. Now, That may at face value sound like a good thing, but some of that has been out of necessity. People feeling like, you know, they hit a glass ceiling or in some cases just a brick wall in the the corporate sector, people are getting laid off, different things like that. I think there's also a lot more talk about entrepreneurship, right? So now every kid going through college that's in, you know, computer science is doing an app. You know, and there are coding clubs in high schools and people talk about being an entrepreneur. So I think that there are just a lot more people talking about it. When we started, there were a few entrepreneurial training programs, you know, sprinkled around the country, nothing like what there is today. You know, there's information about starting a business, being an entrepreneur everywhere. So really, I think there's not a challenge. There's not a void in the space for just information. And I think that, again, there is just a lot more awareness about entrepreneurship. I think that that is a good thing in that more people think about it. So it becomes a real opportunity that's available to more people, just again, because they know where to get different tools and resources. On the flip side, though, I will be completely honest with you. I think that in some ways, some of the messaging is not the direction that I think we should be taking in saying, hey, you want to start a business? You want to be an entrepreneur? You know, be an entrepreneur. Everyone, everyone can do it. Well, super easy. So easy. Yeah, you know, just just get (laughs) money comes pouring in. (laughs) It, It sort of sounds like that, right? And I think that, you know, there's always that debate of our entrepreneurs, you know, made or are they born? You know, can you learn these things? Over my years, I have to say, there are some people who are entrepreneurial, like from the time that they're kids, even they are, you know, always thinking of doing something or thinking of how to create value or what they could do. Or they're always, even if they're not doing that specifically, they're always seeing the opportunity in something. Hey, there are people who are thirsty. They're going to be, you know, all these people out here. Let me go get some waters and try to sell some waters. Let me sell sneakers online. They're always just think, you know, doing a car wash. Like they're always thinking of these things to try to solve a problem uh, to serve a need. I think that, you know, you don't necessarily have to have those hard skills at first to be successful because these are things that you can learn. But I think that there are people who will go into starting a business because it's like, oh, so great to be your own boss, right? Well, hey, let's slow down a bit. When you have someone else as a boss, they're responsible for making sure you get paid every, you know, two weeks. <laughs> That's right. You know, they have you these other it every day. 
every day. Is there enough money coming in? Is yeah. there enough money coming in? It's stressful, right? It's, it's so really stressful. stressful. And some people are not built to eat what they kill. And as a business owner, <laughs> that is what you are doing. You know, you don't go out and hunt and you don't go out and, you know, harvest, you don't eat. And it's that simple. <laughs> And so all those totally stealing that from you, Jill, just so you know, like I'm (laughs) going to be using that all the time. And you know, what's really funny is I don't want this to sound like a knock kind of on, you know, millennial generations and, and beyond, but as a person who grew up in Gen X and it was always, you know, work, 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 work. And then kind of, I hear people talking about lifestyle and work life balance and all of that, you know, good luck if you can make that work. Uh, (laughs) business owner, <laughs> as an entrepreneur, like you, you, make, you make trade-offs, you know, yeah. yesterday, one of my sons graduated. I, you know, was off half the day doing stuff or just, you know, being with him. I'm going to pay for that this weekend. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of catching up on some things to do this weekend. And so I think kind of this idea of, Hey, everyone just start a business. I don't think that that's the right message. I think it's, look, if, if you're willing to do what it takes go for it. And people should be encouraged to go for it. But they also have to be aware and, you know, watching podcasts like this or listening to, you know, information like this is really valuable to hear what are all the things that people are going through? What are the failures? Mm -hmm. What are the reasons that people have failed? What did it take for someone to succeed? Because it is really hard work. You know, are you willing to give up all the things you need to give up? And it's not, maybe it's not giving up. It's a trade-off. Are you willing to put yourself, your family's future, your financial security, all at risk, because as an entrepreneur, that is what you are potentially doing, especially the older that you get. These are things that I think people need to hear. And look, there's nothing wrong for people being employees. You know, most of the people are, and, and entrepreneurs need great employees. So even if you, you know, are a person to say, Hey, I like that entrepreneurial environment, but I don't really want to be the one out front or the top person. You know, I want to be the one supporting and I'm still getting a paycheck. That's all good too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no, I'm better than because I'm a entrepreneur and work a hundred hours a week. No. And yeah, in some ways there are people who are kind of feeding into that culture, be a business owner or, or looking down upon people because they're not in their own business, you know, or have some side hustle or something. Well, strategy folks will tell you have multiple streams of income. For some people, that might be to have some kind of a side hustle or something entrepreneurial. For others, they run the risk that that's just sucking money away from other better uses of that capital or even taking that capital and investing it in an entrepreneur and you get your entrepreneurial fix doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are great points. That's so smart. I totally agree with everything you said. And I would also say that if you are someone who was one of those children who was selling the water bottles and figuring out how to be creative and solve problems, it is an incredible journey to go on to actually accept that kind of as your career. I just, as I think we're Sandy and I are both those people and I'm raising one of those right now. And it's like, yeah, like this is the joy of life, right? Like this is really there's so much hyperbole around follow your passion, but it really is. It's so fun. And then, you know, we work with a lot of entrepreneurs as well. And you can sort of see if there are people for whom it isn't fun, right? And so I think that's what you're also saying. And like the same circumstance for me is like a puzzle to solve and it's exciting. For other people, maybe it feels like a drag or an unsolvable problem or something they don't even want to ever have to think about once in their life. So I I think people have to evaluate for themselves whether or not it's a good fit and it makes sense because it is really, really hard, as you said, but also really rewarding. Well, and I think what you said too, the analogy with the puzzle actually is really, really appropriate, right? If you think about it as an entrepreneur, every single day you're solving problems every day. And so if you're not a person who enjoys solving problems, you know, if you just want to talk about the problems, but not solve them, this is not really for you. You know, if you're a person who enjoys like that challenge of solving a problem, that is really what's needed. And the other thing I want to just raise as well is there is a difference between business owner and entrepreneur. And you kind of heard me going back and forth between the two. It's a different mindset. 
being a business owner often is when you're self-employed and you're thinking about kind of your personal income and what's dropping down to the bottom line. And essentially you've replaced having a boss who is someone else for yes, being your own boss, but it is just that it's still essentially a job for which you are the boss. An entrepreneur is someone where they really have to be willing to take the risk and that there might not be any money coming in for a period of time. It isn't a job. It is about creating value. It is about that vision for how you're not only going to create value, but how you are then extracting that value in some way. And then that's when you look for that payoff. It's a different mindset. And I think that even when people are looking for resources, they need to understand where they are, what their mindset is, and then find the resources that are appropriate for that. Again, not throwing any shade on people who are business owners. And I think sometimes, you know, we some of the community does, it's like, oh, if you're not trying to grow and scale and be this Uber or Google, you're kind of over here. And I think we shouldn't do that. We need both. We need all. And for some people, being a business owner is the right fit and they should do that. They just need to recognize that that is where they are and they need to find resources that really are supporting them in that. Jill, I want to know what the talk is in your community about building wealth, specifically women, the women in your community. We talk about this a lot. And I think for women and even more so for black women, that the concept of wealth is kind of foreign. We haven't had wealth. We haven't had the ability to even get a loan or or inherit whatever. Like I just, are you seeing there's more, especially because you've had this, your institute for so long, are you seeing a change and an acceptance and sort of some higher goals about building wealth? Yes. I think that the statement that people haven't been thinking about wealth, I don't know if that's accurate. I think that probably for a long time, there was just kind of this acceptance that we don't have it. So I don't need to you know, have a wealth advisor. I don't need to think about these certain issues because I don't have wealth. So that doesn't affect me. And I think more importantly to not having the wealth, it was that I don't see a path to getting wealth. And that's where it's just kind of like, oh, I might as well just keep doing what I'm doing because I don't see a path to getting that type of wealth. Um, And furthermore, over the generations, historically, whenever there was the buildup of wealth in the Black community, it was taken. And so it wasn't, you know, I think one of the things that we are combating in the black community is this notion that somehow the reason that people have poor credit scores, and again, I'm not saying this like everyone, but I'm saying, you know, kind of these generalizations, but, you know, the reasons that say black business owners have struggled with credit or collateral was, you know, somehow they ruin their credit scores because they were not responsible with handling their money and it was through their own fault that they're in this position. So now let's give them some financial education and credit counseling to help them along. Kind of that was the mentality. And I think that there are a lot of people who, you know, within the community that sort of have, have accepted that and, you know, bought into that. And it's like, okay, I have to do these different things. And when you really start peeling back all the layers, you say, Hey, wait a second. The other folks out there who have good credit and collateral have had a 400-year jump, Yeah, right? right. That's the reality. They've had yeah. a 400-year plus jump yeah. because they had even generations before the country was in existence and people were here, people who were in other countries building wealth and bringing that wealth here. I think that now there's kind of this more willingness to admit by some people and others, even though they're resistant, there is still the the openness to talk about these issues that look, these other folks have had a jump and it's not even looking just at the impact of slavery, but even when you look at the laws that prohibited black people from being given FHA loans, the mortgages rather, and being able to accumulate assets. That is what has led to the extreme wealth disparity that we see in the Black community. So if you take that as the foundation, we're then able to move on and say, okay, wait a second. It wasn't that I was just so 
super irresponsible and things like that, there has been a problem. And now what do we do from here? And so we're seeing, you know, a lot of tools and resources that are geared toward helping people to figure out how do they go from where they are to building and creating wealth. There's an amazing tool that was developed by a black woman, goal setter, that is teaching like the entire families. And I I don't want to say teaching, it's helping them to practice these habits of savings and, and wealth building. And I think that, you know, part of our messaging is about, okay, saving is great, but then you have to engage in activity that will actually lead to wealth building. And, you know, I think over the years, you've seen more black people that have started to understand, you know, real estate and then getting involved in stocks and bonds and things like that. And so, and, and as people have been able to get in positions of having jobs that are higher paying, and then using those jobs to build their assets in those asset classes, that's been good. Now, what we're trying to do with the making of Black Angels is to open up you know, yet another asset class, helping people to understand how, if you're at a certain financial level, that investing in private companies can be a way to build a tremendous amount of wealth, you know, to to grow your wealth. And so it's just a lot of that is about exposure. Many of us did not grow up at the dinner table talking about the businesses in which we had invested, you know, investing at all for the most part. Insurances, you know, were something that in the black community, oftentimes it's accepted, you know, that Black people are very underinsured and where in other communities, insurance is used as a tool for building wealth, right? And, you know, money passes down from one generation to the next, someone passes away, the next generation, you know, is, is seeing some capital as a result of that. In the Black community, you know, it's kind of the stereotype, but, you know, there's a basis in it. You know, you start talking about insurance and it's like, oh, are you trying to kill me off? And It's just not something that often is discussed, but it's because for generations, this information wasn't passed down and we did not have access to that. And so, you know, it's great to see that now we are talking about these issues. And I do think that people who have had access to these different asset classes for generations and their parents talk them about those things, you should talk to other folks who are from different communities, talk about these things so that they can, you know, one, just see that there's a willingness to talk and they have a place to go to ask questions like of just regular people. Mm -hmm. I think that there's people as humans, we don't try to aim for something if we don't think it's possible. And I think what I'm seeing now is that women are like, oh, oh, wait a second you know, maybe I could build my own wealth. Like that's like a new concept to us and it's really exciting. And I think what you're doing with your business and all of your, just all your different offerings is like, you're actually doing something about it. Like you're creating programs that people can access to help them build their own wealth or help them to see that path. And I just, I think, I just think it's amazing. So thank you for, for bringing all this to our audience. It's very, that's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think women have to just start thinking a little bit differently because even today, I mean, the the laws and the expectations and just practices are so antiquated that it makes it really tough for women, women, every ethnicity and race. It makes it very difficult for women to build wealth. It's difficult just having the, the equal pay. And, you know, we look at the gender gap. But even if there was a job that was, you know, that say the pay was equal, the burden of, and I shouldn't say it like that, the responsibility of childcare often fall, being expected to fall on women ends up taking you off of a particular path potentially. And that is just a reality. I did not see myself staying on a certain path. I knew I wanted to have four children very early on, you know, that was kind of a vision for my life. I did end up accomplishing that, but I did not feel that I could have a certain type of career and do that. 
as a man, would I have felt that way? Probably not. I would have said, oh, you know, my wife will handle that stuff and I can build my career. And that's what's expected. I have called, I was going to get one of those services that delivers frozen foods and, you know, the meats and vegetables or all those things. I was investigating getting one of those services and the person would not see me by myself. And he said, well, you know, you have to also get a refrigerator, a freezer that we put in your garage to keep the stuff. And I said, okay. He said, well, you know, I'd like to meet with you and your husband. I said, well, my husband's really busy. And this was a, a time when my husband was like traveling a lot. And I said, that's just not going to be possible. And he said, well, we let, I said, look, I can make a decision about ordering a $300 freezer, if that is what is needed. You know, that's just inefficient for my husband and I both to be sitting here talking about this. So we we could not, I could get it done and we ended up stopping the conversation. But <laughs> things like this, when you look at even schools, right, only going to three o'clock, often the burden is on the mom. The whole society is set up with kind of this premise that there is someone and the mom <laughs> to be home at three and running these errands and going to the bank before three. And it's when you really think about it, it is just not set up in our favor to be able to do what we need to do in order to have the incomes and build the wealth for ourselves. Right. Which is why we all need to make our own businesses, build our own wealth so we can invest in other businesses so we can change the world. Absolutely. Simple. I don't want people to think that Again, you know, I hesitate, you know, I, I said burden at first. I mean, I have four children. I know what it is like. My children, you know, at one point I had like four children who were nine and under. So, you know, the, the first two was pretty close together. And there is a trade-off. You know, there is a trade-off, but that is what I wanted. And there, to me, is, is nothing, there's no greater accomplishment for me than my children and helping them to become the people that they want to become for themselves. You know, and I have to say that I think that as women, one of the benefits of being in your own business or being an entrepreneur is that oftentimes, you know, it's not that you're doing less work. You don't have all this greater time. What you have is more flexible time. And so you can build your schedule around when you need to do something with your kids. You may also have to make trade-offs say, hey, you know, I can't be at every party in elementary school that's designed for you, the kids. <laughs> you know, I said, that's your party. I don't need to be at that party. But it's more flexible. So you can decide that you're going to take this time with your children or whatever it is that you want. And you will do the work when you do the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that advice. I think it's a big part of why both of us became entrepreneurs and started this company together that we have now. I also want to refer our listeners back to a previous episode called The Value of a Wife, which is maybe our most popular and or controversial episode we've ever released. It's a couple of years old now, but it's 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 going a little deeper into everything that you've just said, Jill. So, you know, the tremendous assistance that having a wife at home lends to a working person and just in terms of peace of mind and having other things in your life taken care of. So I would like to refer our listeners back to that episode. And then just to conclude, Jill, we'd love to get a joy and hustle from you. So at every episode, we ask our guests to share a joy. So something that's bringing you joy in your life right now and a tool that can help our listeners hustle in their career or business. Yeah. So I'll say that Outside of my family and my, my kids in particular, I would say walking is a joy. And I actually like the walking because often I do it alone, not with my kids and the family. I'm just able to, you know, like clear my head, put on my own music or have a conversation. So I love walking. I, I love walking anytime, not in the cold when it's freezing, but in nice weather, I love walking. The hustle. So a tool that I would recommend is Calendly. And, you know, people can use any kind of calendaring application. There are many of them out there. Calendly is my favorite. It's super easy to use. You can use the free version, but it dramatically reduced the amount of time that I spend trying to book meetings. Even people who have an assistant 
If you use Calendly, it reduces the amount of time that your assistant has to spend just going back and forth for meetings so they can spend their time on you know something more useful and productive for the company. So that is my hustle. I love, love, love Calendly. A hundred percent could not run a business without it. And it drives me crazy when people don't or like, could you do Monday at four? And it's like, oh my God, here's my Calendly link. Like <laughs> we're not, we're not doing this going back and forth. <laughs> I know if you write that, don't like just... to use it. It's so funny. I, you know, there's one guy who's a friend of mine. He said, I won't do that. If someone, you know, I think that that's very rude. Wow. I've heard that too. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have. It may be, but it's helpful. You know, I have to say I am, I'm selective. So let's say if I was an entrepreneur raising money, right. And I managed to get into an engagement, you know, with a a potential investor, I would not send an investor a link saying, here, pick a date off my calendar. I would there invest the time to, you know, look, I'm on, I'm on your schedule essentially, but for most other people, you know, and, and that's where I think you have to kind of use some judgment and some people find it easier. Hey, let me know your availability, or if it's easier for you, Here's a link to my calendar. You know, that may, that softens it a little bit versus saying, here's a link to my calendar, schedule when you want. I'm the one who's important here. That's, I think, how it comes across to some people. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, that's a nice nuance. Okay, well, Jill, it's been lovely to get to know you and to learn a little bit more about your organization. And where can folks find you online? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I am on LinkedIn. And I think it's like LinkedIn, my thing is small business small biz expert or something like that. But you can find me, you see the hair. I changed my picture. So like hair is the same. <laughs> On our website, we are eiffel.org, W-E-A-R-E-I-F-E-L.org. Actually, I am also on social media on Instagram. And as you can tell, like I'm not a super social media person, but we are on Instagram at we are eiffel. Facebook, we are Eiffel. All of our handles are we are Eiffel. And then for women of color connecting, we're on social media at WOC Connecting. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Jill. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Hey, before you go, if you enjoy listening to our podcast and you know that your future involves teaching or coaching online, check out our Inner Circle experience. It's where we take these concepts, women in business, money, online business strategy, mindset, feminism, and help our clients take their expertise and transition it to an online offering. It's a one-year program with high-touch strategy and mindset coaching, online business courses, and the best community on the internet. To apply, head over to theinnercircle.works, fill out our short two-minute application, and if we believe you're a great fit, you'll receive access to a private advanced training on creating a profitable online business and all the program details. Go to theinnercircle.works to learn more.